When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome, welcome everybody to The Right Opinion right here. On the rightopinion.podbean.com, I, of course, am your host, Harrison Bergeron. Happy to have each and every one of you fine people aboard, as always. We've got a lot to talk about in the world of politics and the world of news. And uh, before I get into the, the thick of things, let me go ahead and just get some of these plugs out of the way. This is The Right Opinion right here on the rightopinion.podbean.com, also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and a litany of other random podcast catchers out there but if you if you're looking for me on a particular one let me know see if i could get myself up there and there are a variety of ways that you can get in touch with yours truly you could find me at right opinion pod on twitter instagram parlor and minds all of these are the latter of the two are kind of newer social medias that have popped up a little bit more along the lines of free thought free speech so i obviously found myself over there figured i'd hop on just in case it becomes a trend so that's at Right Opinion Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, and Minds. And I'm working on trying to get an outlet for me to start writing some articles as well. That's uh, that's out there. But hey, by any means, if you're listening to this, you got a website, you're looking for somebody to put up some opinion articles from time to time, holla at your boy uh, by following me on any of those platforms at Right Opinion Pod, or you are welcome to email me directly, the Right Opinion Pod at Gmail. Dot com. So, all of that good stuff out of the way, let me also remind you that this podcast, because it is our monthly kind of regular edition, will be available on a couple of days delay on hackerhameen.podbean.com, available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much wherever podcasts are found. You could check out Hacker Hameen, just type in the words, Hacker Hameen, and you'll find it. Also on ratsaladreview.com, Rat Salad Review, for those of you unaware, more of a rock and roll, heavy metal kind of channel. Overall, it started with one show. The Rat Salad Review is now expanded into a variety of different shows along those lines. They also have other shows, including The Right Opinion. So check out ratsaladreview.com. They're also available virtually everywhere, YouTube, BitChute, Twitch, um, and then all of the other podcast platforms I mentioned before. We thank both of our partners for having the gumption, the testicular fortitude, if you will, to have the right opinion on their airwaves. I appreciate the hell out of it. And if you're listening to me there, I appreciate you. But come on over to the rightopinion.podbean.com as well. Help some brother out. I could consolidate all my metrics. Hey, 
you can listen to it on one, but download it on both. And that way, you're doing me a solid because you know there's plenty of people out there that aren't listening to this that should be. You can make up for a few of them. You can also share this podcast on any of your social media and hopefully attract a few more of those fine folks over here. Anyway, all of that good stuff out of the way. Let's open up with the big news, not even in the country, in the world right now, coronavirus. Now, there's a lot of disinformation going on around the coronavirus. I'm going to kind of pinpoint some of the pieces that are out there uh, that, that are grossly misleading up to this point. And look, let's be real about this, right? Donald Trump had his rally in South Carolina, I think on Friday night, and he was talking about how this is the new hoax. Now, he's not for the record, and he has since clarified this. He's not talking about the virus being a hoax. This is not a big, massive, worldwide false flag event. This is not uh, a situation where thousands upon thousands of people have somehow coordinated into the world's biggest you know, flash mob. This, this is not that. He's talking about the Democratic response to this being the new hoax, which, I mean, you'd be blind to suggest that there haven't been hoaxes up to this point considering the Russia investigation and then the Ukrainian impeachment nonsense and a variety of other things along the lines, including everything from emoluments clauses to 25th Amendment to MLK's bus being removed from the Oval Office to whatever. I mean, it really, the list goes on, racist, sexist, yada, yada, all the, all the fake people have come forward claiming all these sorts of things about Trump that have obviously all panned out to not be all that true because... You know, if it were, he would be removed from office. He probably would be in handcuffs. And here we are with not only him still being the president, but on the way to re-election in November. So how do you stop that if you're the Democrats? Clearly none of the clown car brigade that you have paraded out there on the stage for these debates is going to do it, right? Even Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Mayor Bloomberg, whoever it is that you think is like the, the big front runner has the best chance. I'm sorry to tell you that they have a real uphill battle, which isn't to suggest that they couldn't win it. Stranger things have happened, like Donald Trump being elected president, but these people are all, are all going to have to argue against the strongest economy in the history of our country, which pretty much means the strongest economy in the history of the world. And they're going to have to explain how their policies, which are more or less a 180 of Donald Trump's policies, are going to make this country better when it's objectively true that this country has basically by every economic metric been better since Donald Trump took over and how by reversing the policies he's put into place is going to help the American people. Uh, Joe Biden openly came out and said he's going to raise our taxes. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, it goes without saying with their radical socialist policies that they will inevitably be raising your taxes. Um, that's a real tough sell to go out there and say, hey, I'm going to raise your taxes even you know, more savvy Democratic politicians of the past had full intention of raising taxes, but wouldn't say that part out loud because, again, it's a real hard sell. At the end of the day, people don't want to have more money taken out of their pockets than they already have. And to suggest that a vote for a specific person is going to guarantee that makes it makes, you know, you got to have to bring a whole lot else to the table. Now, Bernie's bringing free health care, free college education, free ponies, free you know, blowjobs, whatever. I mean, like, it's at this point, he might as well just promise the moon because he's never going to actually get any of the things he's promising implemented, even if he wins, and even if the Democrats take the House and the Senate, 
Because let's face it, there's a lot of Democrats who don't agree with these policies either, as have been displayed in the last couple of weeks, because Bernie's surging, and now you're getting all the Democrats, all the leftists, all the mainstream media hacks. Fuck, even Flavor Flav came out and spoke about this fake revolution, which is exactly what it is. We're going to get to Bernie in a little bit. Let's get into the coronavirus, because like I said, this is the new hoax. This is their new method. They, a, an actual problem existed in the world, and the Democrats see this as an opportunity to attack Trump on two folds. One, the economy. Coronavirus has shut down a lot of production in China, a lot of production in other places around the world. We have shut down travel from a lot of places around the world, as well as a lot of places are shutting down travel where they are to and from where they are. So it, it becomes an issue of supply chain, right? We have a lot of goods and services, or I guess rather goods and, and parts that we acquire from China for our goods and, and products that we ultimately make. A lot of that's not coming across right now. Like Apple's taking a hit because of it. And when Apple's taking a hit, I mean, you know it's something something serious because Apple tends to just kind of be on an upward slope as far as the stock goes because they're Apple and everybody and their mother loves their products or at least rushes to the store to go buy them. I know. There's plenty of the, the, the PC, Android people out there screaming, I don't love Apple. It's fine. You're in the minority. Just accept it. Anyway, so the coronavirus. Let's dive into some of the misconceptions that are being espoused by the left, the media, and um, whoever else doesn't like Donald Trump. And let's start with one of Donald Trump's biggest haters, good old crocodile tears, Chuck Schumer. He is, um, well... He's Chuck Schumer, unfortunately for him, but he made the claim back on February 5th, just after Donald Trump started some travel bans uh, in relation to what was going on with the coronavirus. He stopped people from coming in from China or people who had been to the Wuhan area within a couple of weeks. So he jumped out on fr in front of this. Chuck Schumer thought that this was premature. He thought it was an overreaction. As a matter of fact, let me read you the tweet that he sent out on February 5th, 2020. And I quote, the premature travel ban to and from China by the current administration is just an excuse to further his ongoing war against immigrants. There must be a check and balance on these restrictions, end quote. Now, it will surprise you not that this tweet has since been deleted because even Chuck recognizes how false all of this is. And for that matter, let's go to the experts on this. There is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Fauci. Maybe it's Fauci. F-A-U-C-I is how the name is spelled. And uh, let me give you a quick synopsis of who exactly Dr. Fauci is or Fauci is. We're going to go with Dr. Tony from now on. Anthony Stephen Tony Fauci is an American immunologist who has made substantial contributions to HIV, AIDS research, and other immunodeficiencies, both as a scientist and the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. So this is the guy kind of running the, the whole ship behind the scenes here, right? Trump has designated Pence kind of the point man on all of this. He's not in the thick of it, testing people, making medical decisions. I see all the, the lunatics online going, oh, no, Pence is in charge. We're all dead. By the way, quick pause on that. There's a whole notion out there that, that Mike Pence has something to do with like an HIV or an AIDS epidemic in his home state of Indiana, that information is um, laughably out of context because basically there was a little bit of an outbreak of HIV and AIDS in Indiana, which derived from Mike Pence's not wanting to provide clean needles to drug addicts. Yes, the, many of you may know of these needle exchange programs out there, this whole idea people are going to be doing these drugs anyway. 
let's go ahead and give them free clean needles so that at least they're not you know getting getting you know, spreading diseases or getting themselves sick I mean, this has always been the dumbest of possible programs. I, I've never fully understood why this is beneficial to anybody. It only encourages further drug use, and it only keeps people who are doing these drugs and probably not providing a whole lot else to society alive and on the streets for us to be paying for all of them. Not that I'm suggesting that they die, but let's face it, they clearly don't value their lives all that much. Why should we, as taxpayers, be providing them with paraphernalia for them to continue their potentially fatal habits. I, I don't, it, to me, it's, it's really more just enabling than it is in any way actually helping anybody. But that's, when you hear those rumors or you hear those stupid comments or you see the tweets about, oh, Pence has a lot of experience with, uh, with disease outbreaks. It's like, yes, because he didn't want to provide clean needles to heroin addicts. Apparently, there was a mild outbreak of AIDS and HIV in that area, and, and obviously the likelihood of that affecting your normal everyday citizen is fairly low, you know, wrap your shit, and uh, don't inject things into your arm, and you have a very, very low possibility of getting AIDS, but here we are, and that's the sort of nonsense that's being espoused by our vice president, because people are looking for any and all reasons to, you know, shit on this administration, and they're, they're convinced that these are the same people who are still convinced that Mike Pence wants to electrocute gays into being straight people, so their relationship with reality is tentative at best, let's say. But let's get back to Dr. Fauci here. Now remember, Chuck Schumer said that this travel ban back on February 5th was premature and was uh, about an assault on immigrants and all of this sort of stuff. Mind you, uh, the assault on immigrants thing is still mind-boggling to me. Just because you don't want illegal people in this country doesn't mean you don't want people to come here legally. And if you figure Trump had some issue with the Chinese, he would have implemented some sort of travel ban on the Chinese well before a infectious novel virus decided to pop up. I mean, just the, the sheer inconsistency or lack of logic there is astounding, but <laughs> it's Chuck Schumer. I don't know why I'm all that surprised. So let's get back to Dr. Fauci talking about the early measures taken by everybody's favorite president, Dr. Fauci. Take it away. So how do you address this new challenge? There's what we do from within and what we do from without. I hearken back to the original decision that was made by the president of making sure that we knew the, uh, the, the scenario that was going on in China. We prevented travel from China to the United States. If we had not done that, we would have had many, many more cases right here that we would have to be dealing with. You don't say. Wow, it's almost like the experts know what they're talking about, and Chuck Schumer's just a babbling fucking fool. I mean, it, it could be. I mean, feel free to present me evidence otherwise. Then we heard all throughout the South Carolina debate by the Democratic nominees uh, that Donald Trump cut funding to the CDC and the National Institute of Health. This is, of course, laughably false, but don't believe me. Let's go to the AP. Not exactly friends of Donald Trump, but here is an article from the AP. The headline reads, Democrats distort coronavirus readiness. And the article goes on to explain that many of the Democratic presidential contenders were talking about how cuts had been made to the Centers for Disease Control as well as the National Institute of Health. Uh, institutes of health, my apologies, and uh, and obviously this is not true. 
I mean, it's usually obvious when a Democrat makes the statement that it's not true. But again, if you don't believe me, here's the AP article, The Facts. Um, This is in regards to comments made by Biden and Bloomberg. It says they're both wrong to say the agencies have seen their money cut. Bloomberg is repeating the false allegation in a new ad that states the United States is unprepared for the virus because of, quote, reckless cuts to the CDC. Trump's budgets have proposed cuts to public health only to be overruled by Congress, where there's strong bipartisan support for agencies such as CDC and NIH. Instead, financing was increased, or has increased, rather. So initially, Trump proposed a budget. It did involve cuts to these things, and then Congress pushed back. They provided an alternate budget that included not only the same level of funding for those agencies, but for more funding for those agencies, and that was ultimately approved by the president, who signed off on that budget. So, yes, there were initially calls for cuts to these sorts of things, because, and you know what, in, in in the Donald's defense, and you know that's sort of what I do here, but let's also take into consideration that there's a litany of emergencies that could happen at any moment in time to place budgetary you know, dollar amounts on what these emergencies might cost if and when they happen. By the way, a lot of the times they don't happen. Where does that money go? For instance, Nancy Pelosi is complaining about the, the Trump administration wanting to use half a billion dollars that is left over from the money that we had designated to handle the Ebola crisis in 2014. That half a billion dollars was not used. And Nancy Pelosi's complaining that we now want to repurpose it for something that's actually happening right now that merits more money to be pumped into. Like, what does she want to do with that money if not just sit on it, hope people forget about it, and distribute it to her donor somehow? <laughs> I mean, that's just nonsense from the from the onset. As a matter of fact, repurposing that money makes way more sense than I think anybody will ever really give credit for. But there we are yet again. So, so far, the travel bans were premature, false. The CDC and NIH funding was cut, false. Let's move on to Dr. Fauci again. Let's get back into him because there was a lot of reports that supposedly he's being muzzled. Now, he's the expert in the room, right? Trump's not an infectious disease expert. Mike Pence isn't a pathology expert. You know, there's 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 a variety of people up there that are making decisions that are speaking that are obviously not experts on the subject. Dr. Fauci is, and that's why he's there. And as you're about to hear, he's been doing this for quite a long time, but let me give you kind of a little context for what I'm about to play. There is a journalist, a, a female journalist, the name of which I've, I've clearly forgotten, nor do I particularly care. She asks, a, as Donald Trump will present to you, a very dishonest question, quoting the headline about Dr. Fauci being muzzled and saying, is this true? Now, mind you, you can't see this because you're listening on audio. Donald Trump is at the podium Directly to his right is Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Tony, and um, he manages to step in and take this question for the Donald, but really, let's just take it a context here. If you thought that this guy was being muzzled, rather than approach the question as, oh, well, it appears that you're not letting this guy talk, mind you, again, he's standing right next to the president at a press conference. Uh, clearly, he was not just standing there to not be able to speak. If they were muzzling him, they probably wouldn't have put him within a foot of a microphone. But nevertheless, if you wanted to actually get the answer to this question without sounding like a liberal liberal media hack, the way to do that would be 
I have a question for Dr. Fauci, blah, 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 blah. Do you have any comments? And then see if he's allowed to answer the question. And that would answer whether or not he's being muzzled without being a combative fucking asshole. But that's what this woman is. Trump puts her in her place, and then Dr. Fauci comes over the top to dunk on her. I think uh, if, if he was in the dunk contest, I would score this one all tens. But hey, that's just me. I'll let you decide. Let's go to the audio. I'm going to ask you directly about this with regard to the flow of information. From the very beginning, you received a lot of criticism regarding that, in particular about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is world-renowned in contagious diseases, and there were reports out there that he was being muzzled. Can you tell us that this widely respected expert, Dr. Fauci, will have every opportunity to tell us the truth? Well, that's a very dishonest, the, and, very and dishonest question because uh, he has because he has had that uh, ability to do virtually whatever he's wanted to do and so in fact in fact he, in he was never muzzled okay i think i can so speak you, you can speak why don't you speak yeah. to that <laughs> very dishonest question but that's okay dishonest. i want to clarify yeah. Mr. President. Dishonest. i want to clarify so so let me let me clarify it i have never been muzzled Ever, and I've been doing this since the administration of Ronald Reagan. I'm not being muzzled by this administration. What happened, which was misinterpreted, is that we were set up to go on some shows. And when the vice president took over, we said, let's regroup and figure out how we're going to be communicating. So I had to just stand down on a couple of shows and resubmit for clearance. And when I resubmitted for clearance, I got cleared. So I have not been muzzled at all. That was a real misrepresentation of what happened. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. In addition to being an immunologist, I think he can add liberal media bitch slapper to his resume now. That was masterful. My God, you knew it was good. As Trump was allowing the guy to step to the podium, he starts chuckling like, hey, why don't you take this one being that you're muzzled and all, you know, it's just great. It's just the, the delusions of the left and of the media have fully taken over their entire lives to the point to where the second they hear something anti-Trump, they are convinced it is 100% true, no doubt about it. And then once faced with the reality that it isn't, they still continue to push forward as if they never heard that. And they'll just keep on going. Like, the media will undoubtedly continue to put out reports that this doctor is not being allowed to speak. I can almost guarantee it. They, it's almost like they just didn't even get the answer to their question because they didn't get the answer that they were looking for. Anyway, so moving on from there, another fact check here is that obviously all of the ass clowns on the stage for the Democratic debate were talking about how we are unprepared for all of this sort of stuff. And this really... This is what Donald Trump is talking about when he says that this is the new hoax, is that you've got a bunch of clowns up there who don't have a prayer of beating him in the election, grasping at straws, looking for anything that they can to attack our president with, because frankly, there's nothing that they could say or do at this point that the media, Hollywood, and their colleagues haven't already said about this president, and to his credit, man, Teflon Don, it just slides right off of him. Ben Shapiro always likes to make the statement, it's all baked into the cake, and I think he's absolutely right. We know who Donald Trump is, or at least those of us who have been paying attention is. The rest of them think he's some sort of racist monster who's out to destroy our country when, like, all of the facts say otherwise. But neither here nor there, they're looking for stuff to attack him on. They see the weakness in the administration as regards to, they're kind of helpless in this, right? Like, they're doing everything that they can 
to be prepared for this. But at the end of the day, like, there might just not be a possibility. Like, there's only but so much we can do. This isn't China. We're not going to lock down millions of people into their homes. This is still the land of the free and the home of the brave. And frankly, if you're going out to work in these conditions, you're a little brave. And you are free to do so because this is America. Now, I mean, obviously, no one will ever be fully satisfied with how the government handles something like this because, let's face it, There's not a lot of people who go out there and go, oh, you know what? The government did a really good job of handling this, mostly because governments tend to not do a great job of handling this, which is why people like myself want them to have less power and not more, like Bernie Sanders, who continues to tell us that our entire government and country are founded on racist and bigoted principles and then wants to give that same racist institution more power than ever before. It's like the idiots that say that they think that the cops are out here shooting everybody, but then they want the cops to be the only ones who have guns. The cognitive dissonance is, it's got to be ringing to the point in their heads to where they can't put together a thought, and that's why they continue to come up with this nonsense. I don't know. Just theorizing at this point. I couldn't possibly fathom being this dumb, so I, I have to try to come up with alternate explanations. Back to number four. They claim, all throughout this debate, because they think that this is something that they can attack Trump on, that we are unprepared for this. However, may surprise you that that is also false. According to the 2019 Global Health Index, the United States is the best prepared for an epidemic or a pandemic. Number two is the UK. Number three is the Netherlands. And then they rank literally like 195 countries from least prepared to most prepared. Guess who turned out to be number one? We're number one in virtually every category, except for maybe swiftness of response. I think we're number two. Granted, we have a much larger country than, I think number one was Israel, if I'm not mistaken. So much smaller plot of land for them to take care of the people on than the United States, which is this massive, sprawling, basically third of a continent. So we are the most prepared, according to the 2019 Global Health Index. And yes, that is after... Trump made a lot of changes to some of the pandemic uh, protocols that were put in place for the Obama administration. And again, I kind of go back to putting aside money for potential emergencies seems sort of ridiculous when we know that every time there is an emergency, whether or not it's planned for, money gets thrown at it. So why not just kind of create one big emergency pool for anything, whether it be climate, if you're so inclined to think that that's an issue, or pandemics, or, you know, um, I don't know, a minor war or an outbreak or a riot or whatever it is. Like, the, put just take a pot of money, put it aside. These are for emergencies in general, not marking, earmarking certain monies for all these potential emergencies that probably are never going to happen, hence emergencies and not just regularities. I, I, I don't fully understand the notion there. So he did want to t- take back some funding for these things, knowing full well that if something happened, the money would be there because, in case you haven't noticed, the government seems to always find a way to spend money. <laughs> that, that, that seems to be a consistent. Now, it is worth noting, as I kind of wind down after all of the debunking here, is that as of my last uh, recollection, we have now seen our first death from coronavirus in the United States. One woman, she was in her mid-50s, I want to say, and she had an existing medical condition. Now, these are the things that are really, really important that people are people are panicking about this disease, and rightfully so, like, because they've been fed so many lies by the media at this point, they probably think that this is, you know, this is the next plague. But 
if you look at who these victims are, who these people are that are dying from this, where those people are, a vast, vast, vast majority of the people that have died from this have died in China, which is a corrupt, inept nation that, frankly, kind of kept this under wraps for longer than they should have because they didn't want to admit fault. Then the second most deaths are in South Korea which is obviously right on the border of China there. And as a matter of fact, there's a gentleman by the name of Gordon Chang, who's a bit of a, an Asian policy expert, who recently wrote a little book or maybe even a pamphlet called Losing South Korea because South Korea is like the one democracy in that area, right? They got North Korea to the north. They got China over there. Um, they're, they're kind of stuck in the middle of these behemoths of communist dictatorships and uh, there, there were a democracy and still are a democracy, but they have a president that they elected not too long ago who's a radical leftist. He's more open to—he's almost like a, a Kim Jong-un and a Xi Jinping sympathizer, right? It's a, it's, it's a weird level of, of affection for these two countries who really would love nothing more than to turn South Korea into the dumpster fires that they've become. But they have this president, uh, Moon— Jai-in, I believe his name is, M-O-O-N-J-A-I hyphen I-N, Moon Jai-in, and he's the president over there. He, because of his affection for China, has opened the borders with China, so they now have an open border to China. People could kind of come and go as they please, and as a result of that moronic open borders policy, now they have, at least as of February 25th, um, 977 cases of coronavirus and 10 people have died. As a result, now those numbers have gone up quite a bit in the last couple of days because, again, they were part of this. They, they basically, because of their open border policy with China and China letting this thing run rampant, a lot of people flowed into South Korea that were infected with this disease and didn't know it because it does take anywhere from two weeks and some people are saying almost up to a month, 26, 27 days before you actually show symptoms uh, in, in relation to this. And that's obviously a huge problem when you have open borders, you have people coming and going, and you don't know who's sick and where they came from, and frankly, you're not even monitoring which region in China they may have come from. If they came from Wuhan, there's a good chance that they have some sort of, that they may be infected, and that they're now spreading that all throughout South Korea. So those are the two highest death rates there, or the two two countries that have had the most death. Uh, Italy is another one. That one kind of popped up out of nowhere. Um, that, that was like the big shock. That was when the markets really, really started to take a downturn was because of Italy. But I'll suggest for the time being that that's a bit of an outlier. Actually, the second amount of deaths, now that I'm looking at it here, it's not nearly the level of infections, but the the amount of deaths in Iran, stark like a stark contrast to the, the rest of the world here, they only had 61 infections, but they had 15 deaths as of February 25th. That's like a 25% mortality rate there. That's those are numbers unseen or unheard of, even in China. So you have the most deaths in China and a corrupt, inept nation that obviously was the cause of all of this and decided to kind of try to brush it under the rug and bury it in mass graves before anybody was really aware of the problem. South Korea, because of their open borders policy with China and working alongside them, have resulted in a lot of infections in South Korea. You'll notice that the death rate for, for the people in South Korea fairly low, like I said, 10 out of almost 1,000 people as of February 25th. And then you've got Iran, where only 61 people had been infected, but 15 of them died because, let's face it, Iran might as well be back in the 1500s. That whole nation is just a 
It's a place lost in time, really. I mean, because of their archaic beliefs system, they have exactly that, an archaic um, national, national structure, essentially. And it's, you know, it's just, it's not nearly caught up to the rest of the world. Like I was pointing out on Twitter, if you look at the nation's that are considered part of the civilized world, as I would mark it, the death rates are really, really low. Again, the numbers I'm looking at here actually provided by Johns Hopkins. This was through a J.P. Morgan mailer that I happen to find uh, in relation to the markets and what the what's going on with the coronavirus. Always trust people who have money on the line, by the way. That's usually a good way of going about it. I mean, maybe don't always trust them, but trust them over the people who don't. And in this case, uh, they're giving these numbers here. In the civilized world, as I like to call it, you have Italy, 270 infections, 7 deaths. Japan, 160 infections, 1 death. Singapore, 90 infections, 0 deaths. Hong Kong, 82 uh, infections, 2 deaths. USA, at this point we had 53, and there were no deaths. Obviously, there's been at least one since then. We've had a bit of an increase in the number of infections, but again, mortality rates still very, very low. Thailand, 37 infections, no deaths. Taiwan, 31 infections, one death. So in the places where they're not only prepared, but they have the infrastructure, they have the technology in place to try to quarantine people, to try to test people, to try to um, reduce travel and to wear masks and to provide some sort of treatment. There's no vaccine yet, although a variety of companies are working on them as we speak. And from what I could tell, fast-tracking the testing on them to try to get them, obviously, out to the market as soon as possible. There's a lot of stuff going on in relation to this virus. There's there's countries that are ill-equipped to handle it or unwilling to be equipped to handle it, like China, like Iran. These are places that could probably desperately use help from the civilized world, but they're not going to take it because they're radical dictatorships and they don't want anybody to help them. Because, frankly, they would probably—if we offered to help China and offer to help Iran— they probably think it's some sort of ruse to try to make it even worse uh, because these people are just paranoid psychopaths who are far more interested in the death of their own people than they are uh, preserving them. Because as long as they're on top, they don't care how many you know peasants they have. Xi Jinping could give a fuck about what's going on in Wuhan right now other than it's ruining the economy. And as a matter of fact, he will probably rush people back to work prematurely, and we might see a second surge of this in China. As a result, it's incumbent upon world leaders to try to insist that Xi Jinping not do that. Having said that again, corrupt, inept China, they will just tell us you know, whatever we want to hear and probably push forward into a bunch of nonsense. So that's coronavirus. I think I covered everything I can cover. Worth note, as far as your personal preparations, your personal peace of mind, Many of the people that are being infected and are dying are old or already have some sort of medical condition. There are minimal, if any, cases in children. So this whole idea of schools closing down and things of the like, I would like to hope that that never comes to fruition here. That'll obviously cause a massive disruption to our country. And uh, and hopefully, if it continues uh, with this with this track here, maybe we can... You know, we can figure out what the kids have. Obviously, kids are younger. They have stronger immune systems than, than many people that are older. And uh, maybe there's something to that that we can, we can maybe it's just a simple immune, immunity booster that we can all take or we can all be partaking in that might prevent us from contracting this virus. Also, obviously, all of the same stuff applies with flus and with all that other sort of stuff. Don't shake people's hands. Don't go to large crowds. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Try to avoid handrails, doorknobs, toilet seats, you know, whatever it is. Just 
do what you would do to try to avoid getting a cold, and hopefully that will all work out for you. Unfortunately, this is one of those situations where a lot can be done. Uh, again, I don't know that anyone will ever be fully satisfied with what is done, but we're doing everything we can. Like I said on Twitter recently, let's put this into perspective, uh, into a perspective that even the liberals can understand. Donald Trump, president of the United States and world-class egomaniac, does not want to be the president that allowed a pandemic to run across our country, destroy our economy, reduce his possibility of being reelected, and having even even this one death being placed on his doorstep. He is going to do everything he can, if for no reason other than his own personal interest, which is sort of something I was talking about with somebody recently. I said, look, I mean, even if you're under the belief that this guy doesn't he doesn't really love America. He doesn't really believe the things that he's saying or all those sorts of the things. Like, look, he's the president now. He's the president of the United States. The better job he does at being president, the greater his legacy will ultimately be. Because right now, he's the president. They can never take that away from him. He was elected. He served. Even if they were to remove him from office, they cannot completely erase his time in office. He will go down as a as a president obviously he will go down as a great president i believe once history fully gets to kind of get its overall view of what's going on here and the better job he does the greater his legacy will be he's done a lot of the things that he said he was going to do i would say he's done more of what he said he was going to do than any other president in modern political history and if he can fight through this maintain this mitigate it as best he possibly can get the economy back on track heading into November, he's going to cakewalk through this election. And then, at that point, you know, he's off the leash. He doesn't have to worry about re-election. You know they're going to try to remove him from office. They will have already tried and failed. They will have already tried to defeat him in two elections and failed. He will be just going off. And at that point, maybe we'll see a little bit more of what Donald, quote-unquote, really thinks or who the, quote, real Donald Trump is I'm looking forward to it personally because I think it's going to be hellfire and brimstone for the Democrats and the media, the likes of which that I was hoping for in the first term. But he might be playing the long game on this one, folks. And it looks like he's, I mean, based on what I'm seeing here on the Democrat side of things, he's in all likelihood going to get reelected. And that actually segues perfectly in to some of the Democratic primary nonsense. So let's go ahead and talk about this ad campaign that Trump put out in South Carolina, an anti-Biden campaign ad. Now, there's a lot of questions as to why he's attacking Biden here. Is he afraid of Bernie? Does he want, you know, does he, is he afraid of Biden? I don't, I, there's a lot of theories out there as far as why he continues to go after Joe Biden. Maybe he realizes that the Democrats are going to screw Bernie out of this thing again and, uh, and that Biden's going to end up being the guy and that's why he's trying to get out in front of it. Or, frankly, I think the Trump team and the Trump administration at this point is just trying to cause more division within the Democrat Party because it would be hard not to want to do that, right? It's obvious that the party is divided. The more divided he can get them, the easier it's going to be for him to walk away with the victory in November. Bernie Sanders has lit the party on fire to a certain degree, and Donald Trump's just coming over to pee on him. So here we are with this ad campaign. I actually think I have the clip here, so let me play that for you, and then we'll be right back with uh, King Barry's comments as uh, obviously Obama and his team had to come out and make a statement about this because he's heavily featured in the ad. Here is that ad right now. Joe Biden promised to help our community. It was a lie. 
Here's President Obama. Plantation politics. Black people in the worst jobs. The worst housing. Police brutality rampant. But when the so-called black committeemen came around election time, we'd all line up and vote the straight Democratic ticket. Sell our souls for a Christmas turkey. Enough. Joe Biden won't represent us, defend us, or help us. Don't believe Biden's empty promises. The committee to defend the president paid for and is responsible for the content of this message. Now, of course, the quote that you hear from Obama there is, I believe, from his book from 1995. It was not directed directly at Joe Biden, but in case you missed the message there, he was basically talking about how Democrats have been misleading black voters for decades and how black voters have just kind of mindlessly gone to the voting booth and voted for Democrats, despite the fact that they continue to promise things that they never actually follow up on. And then Obama's communication director, Katie Hill, no, not that Katie Hill. I'd imagine this one probably not involved in a thruple, but who knows these days. Katie Hill made the following statement, and I quote, This despicable ad is straight out of the Republican disinformation playbook and it's clearly designed to suppress turnout among minority voters in South Carolina by taking President Obama's voice out of context and twisting his words to mislead viewers. In the interest of truth in advertising, we are calling on TV stations to take this ad down and stop playing into the hands of bad actors who seek to sow division and confusion amongst the electorate, end quote. Now, I feel like this is obvious, but I'll go ahead and make this statement anyway. Obviously, this ad is not designed to suppress turnout amongst minority voters. It's just designed to give them a little bit of pause about going to cast their vote for Joe Biden. Because, as Barack Obama stated in that very ad, as, as I mentioned before, basically, is that Democrats have been promising the world to black voters for as long as humanly possible. And... Joe Biden's a Democrat, and yeah, he's Barack Obama's best friend, and he supposedly had all these roles and all these civil rights movements and all this sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, he's still a Democrat, he's still pandering to black votes for the purposes of having black votes, not for the purposes of actually helping black people. Now, I actually have a little bit of a theory as to why this ad was put out, because I, frankly, I don't think that Trump is worried about Biden. I think Biden will get beat like a drum, to use his phrase, by Donald Trump in November should he somehow miraculously emerge as the Democratic nominee. I actually think that this was sort of a little bit of 4D chess, right, to try to bring Barack Obama out of hiding. He's been very quiet. He's been laying in the cut, waiting for a nominee to support, because he is going to come out and support the nominee no matter who it is in all likelihood, because he's just that determined to defeat Donald Trump. Although, it does sort of make you wonder, if he is so determined, why has he been so quiet all these years, right? He's just, he's off on Richard Branson's yacht, hanging out with Michael, I mean, Michelle, and uh, they are doing their thing out there. It's fine. I mean, they're entitled to live their lives, but if they are these champions of the people that they claim to be and that the people seem to think they are, where have they been while this tyrant, this racist monster has been running wild as our president? Yada, yada, yada. I mean, if, they're, if their reality was reality it would beg to question why they aren't a little bit harsher on Obama for remaining quiet, not only throughout Trump's presidency, but also through his buddy Joe's dwindling campaign and the rise of Bernie's communist cult. These are all things that you would think Obama would want to speak out about, and yet he's remained quiet. This ad, although it didn't directly get Obama out of hiding, it did cause a statement to be released by his communications director, Katie Hill, which obviously came from him, and... It sort of forced Obama's hand a little bit. Now, it looks like Obama's emergence has somewhat led to Joe Biden 
taking a massive jump in the polls in South Carolina. As we were getting closer and closer to South Carolina, it looked like Bernie Sanders was narrowing that gap. And then the actual day came, and I mean, for those of you unaware, Joe Biden won South Carolina in a landslide. He won like 44, 40-something percent of the vote there. He just blew everyone out of the water, including Bernie, who I don't even believe got more than 20% and finished second. So Biden, this was his last stand potentially, and he he withstood it. So now he gets to go into Super Tuesday with some hope. Bernie Sanders had been on the rise and, like I said, had even been closing the gap in South Carolina. But then when the chips fell, they fell heavily in the favor of Joe Biden. It makes me wonder, is this, you know, there's a couple of different things that could be in play here. Is this because Joe Biden is obviously popular amongst black voters, and in South Carolina, I think over 60% of the delegation down there is black. So obviously, they have a lot of say in who's going to be the nominee in South Carolina. They overwhelmingly prefer Joe Biden to Bernie Sanders or any of the other candidates. But this also begs the question, all of those polls that we were seeing that were showing Bernie Sanders closing the gap a little bit, what happened? Were those polls just wildly inaccurate? And and frankly, I don't think that there's any vested interest on the media's behalf to help Bernie Sanders out. Many of them have been coming out and have actually been remarkably honest about Bernie's stances about things because even they fear Bernie Sanders' nomination has all been ensuring a Donald Trump win. So it's not that the media is out there pushing Bernie stuff for the purposes of trying to give Bernie the push. They want the opposite of that. So... Could it be that Bernie was finally exposed in that debate and that that was what caused him to take such a hit in those from what the polls were projecting? He was close to 30 percent and he didn't even get 20. So that's at least a 10 point fall from the polls to the actual results of the primary there. Again, the polls could have been misleading. But I also like to think that this has a lot more to do with Bernie finally being asked some hard questions than it does with Biden suddenly becoming a viable candidate in the eyes of voters. Um, the South Carolinian voters who voted for Joe Biden, I mean, clearly they were not fans of Bernie Sanders, because if you've been paying attention up to this point, it looked like this was going to be the Bernie show. And if you really wanted to, you know, if, if they were under the belief that Bernie Sanders was the best to, candidate to potentially beat Donald Trump, you'd figure that they would throw their support behind him. But it appears that the voters of South Carolina are equally apprehensive about a Bernie nomination as the media is. Now, also worth note is that if I'm Trump, like a lot of people seem to think that Bernie is the one that Trump wants to run against. Now, I'm a little hesitant about that for a couple of reasons. One is that while, yes, Bernie Sanders is probably less likely to beat Donald Trump, he's also going to be more dangerous should he beat Donald Trump. And look, Donald Trump was not supposed to win. So to everybody kind of poo-poo in Bernie Sanders, and I'm amongst you. Like, I don't want to believe that the American people would vote a communist in to be president, and that's precisely what he is, as I'll get into a little bit later on. But it's it's more dangerous, man. Like, there's, there's at least a 40% possibility if he gets the nomination that he could be the president. It's not like a 5 you know, 10% option like a lot of people are kind of projecting. It's an election. Trump wasn't supposed to win either. We're talking about a couple of thousand votes flip one way or another in a couple of key key states or key regions, and boom, Bernie Sanders is czar of the United States all of a sudden. That's not good for anybody. That said, I think Trump wants Biden, and I think he's pretending that he, you know, that he's scared of Biden so that he gets Biden because I think he sees that the media is also going to try to screw, you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to screw with Bernie's campaign. He knows that the DNC is likely to do that as well. 
So I think he's piling on here, and he's kind of making it look like he's scared of Biden to convince people that Biden is the best candidate to go up against Trump. Again, a little bit of 4D chess. And I don't know that Trump is making these decisions directly. Obviously, he's got campaign people, Brad Pascal, Kellyanne Conway. He's got people in the know that, that, that know how to look at the data and figure out what the best path is for him. Now, Joe, in addition to the fact that he's a bumbling, senile fool at this point, he's also got a long history of corruption. And we all saw how effective attacks on corruption were against Hillary Clinton, who was undoubtedly a more formidable opponent than Joe Biden ever was, if only for the fact that she actually is somewhat cognizant of where she is most of the time. Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure Joe Biden just wandered into my apartment. Ah, dude, can you... Joe, I think you're supposed to be in Virginia. This is oh, New Jersey. Get the oh, fuck out of here. And and stop sniffing people. It's weird. All right, so Joe Biden lost both physically and mentally, apparently. So, I mean, look, congratulations on finally winning a primary, Joe. I got to give you some dap. It only took you your fourth attempt in the, in the primaries and your third presidential election to finally win a single primary. And, of course, it took you going up against the most ridiculous clown car of candidates ever conceived by man and, of course, your moronic party. So, hey, good for Joe, I guess. You know, props to him. He's still alive for another day anyway. Now, will he continue this momentum? Or is this just sort of a flash in the pan? Obviously, like we've been talking about and every political pundit who's been paying attention has been talking about a lot of this success in South Carolina had to do with the black vote contingency down there. It pushed him to victory there. There are a lot of black voters that will be voting on Super Tuesday. And frankly, there were not a lot of black voters that were voting in the early primaries. Nevada, um, Iowa, New Hampshire, obviously some of those are caucuses. It's, it's neither here nor there at the moment. They are effectively primaries. And uh, will can Joe Biden kind of capitalize on this? Can he ride this hot into Super Tuesday? Is And if so, is that because he's gaining momentum or is that because Bernie's losing steam? Has he been exposed? Uh, obviously, he was asked some hard questions in that debate. And there's been some other news that's come out about Bernie Sanders pretty recently. And that it brings me to my next topic. Is Bernie Sanders a Russian asset, right? So there's there's been a lot of reports that came out. Apparently, Bernie Sanders' campaign was informed that the Russians are actively trying to help him win the nomination. That should be a pretty big deal, considering the hissy fit everybody threw about Donald Trump getting some support from the Russians, apparently. And uh, it's kind of funny watching how people are taking all this news, because it's been so long since there's been any sort of negative news reported about a Democrat on any sort of wide scale, and Bernie Sanders potentially being aided by the Russians. I mean, he no, he comes out, he says all the right things. I don't need anybody's help. Donald Trump is afraid of me, and yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah, Donald Trump's about as afraid of you as the pharmaceutical industries are, which is to say he's not. But um, it's kind of funny. So I'm going to look at this from a couple of different perspectives. I'm going to look at this from, one, just the perspective of a reasonable human being. And then, two, I'm going to look at this from the perspective of a Bernie bro. So it's going to be hard. Bear with me. Let's roll on. So as a, a reasonable per person should be highly skeptical about this news. A, because obviously the news had reported that Donald Trump was a Russian asset and was being aided by Russia and that Russia was doing all these things to try to help him win and may have actually done so. But all of the reports have suggested that they weren't able to really manipulate any votes. The, the extent of their help was in the form of a $100,000 in Facebook ads that were remarkably ineffective and all of the other nonsense that has been 
since proven false in terms of Carter Page's Russian involvement, Mike Flynn's Russian involvement, Paul Manafort's Russian involvement, and George Papadopoulos's Russian involvement, the four legs to the table that was the Russian collusion hoax. So again, any reasonable person should be highly skeptical of this news. Also, bear in mind who's reporting this. It was the Washington Post, who's also you know, in line with the same sort of deal with Donald Trump, right? They're, they're reporting again that the Russians are trying to help Trump, quote, again, even though, as I just pointed out, they didn't really help him all that much the first time around. And, of course, they're basing this off of leaked information that came out of an intelligence briefing, which just so happened to feature Adam Schiff. So, uh, gee, I wonder how this leaked out. And this intelligence briefing obviously wasn't so intelligent because when pressed by Republicans in the meeting, the acting DNI, Joseph McGuire, who actually didn't have any intelligence to back up his claim, was asked repeatedly to provide evidence of these claims and wasn't able to do so. Now, this actually comes from the president's briefing, so much not so much as the briefing to the congressional members that was a that was conducted with Adam Schiff being present, who in all likelihood leaked it out. But that information comes from somebody who was in the room when the acting DNI sat down with the president to give him a briefing on all of this. So you've got the intelligence community unsourced, being leaked potentially by Adam Schiff, reporting to the Washington Post. If, if all of that doesn't give you pause, you clearly have not been paying attention to the news cycle over the last several years. Also, any reasonable person should just be wary of WAPO reporting about Russian interference in general. And the Washington Post, or should I say the Amazon Post, hasn't exactly had a sterling record on this subject. And they clearly have a vested interest not only in Donald Trump being labeled as a Russian or whatever the case may be, but also now Bernie Sanders is being subject to a lot of the same attacks as Donald Trump has. It's almost like everyone the mainstream media doesn't like is a Russian. See also... Tulsi Gabbard. And uh, also, let's be reminded that, you know, obviously Bernie is not the establishment pick, sort of like Trump was. His supporters also have a massive social media presence, much like Trump does. And to that effect, I think the media see that their reach and their influence is kind of off the rails at this point. And my theory in all this is that the Russian hoax is just a continuation of the previous Russian hoax. And everyone that the mainstream media doesn't like, again, must be a Russian. Hi, Tulsi. Now, not to toot my own horn, but just because I'm sure many of you who are kind of in lockstep with me on this feel the same way, just bear in mind the intellectual consistency here. I didn't believe it when the intelligence community supposedly had evidence of Trump-Russian collusion, and I don't believe them now when they say that Russia is helping Bernie Sanders either. It's not that my mind changes because the subject of the investigation is somebody I don't like. I don't believe you because you're fucking liars, and it's really not a whole lot to expand upon from there. Now, I think the Russians are smart enough to know that Bernie isn't going to beat Donald Trump. And after four years of Trump, I don't think they want any more of the Donald, as he has been tougher on Russia than previous administrations were, at least openly. If you listen to my, um, my, my show a few weeks back about the controversy with the Bidens in the Ukraine, it is possible that, that Obama was harsher on Russia than was being seen by the naked eye. But that said, openly speaking, the Donald has definitely been tougher on Russia, giving Ukraine lethal force to be able to combat the uh, the annexation of Crimea and the battle going on in Donbass region and all that sort of stuff. Trump has actually done what the Ukrainians were asking for, and henceforth, that is actually gone against the interests of Russia. 
Also bear in mind that the previous administration had, quote, promised flexibility. That was Obama and also Hillary Clinton while she was running the State Department was involved in the process of selling them 20% of our uranium and was walking over there with a little plastic prop. Um, it was a it was a little reset button. If you remember, they were all buddy-buddy with Russia. Hillary even was going as far as to encouraging American and European investors into investing in a project called Skolkovo, which is essentially Russia's effort to kind of create their own Silicon Valley. People involved in Skolkovo were, of course, dumping money into the Clinton Foundation. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. And the project itself was actually referred to by U.S. European Command as, quote, an overt alternative to clandestine industrial espionage, end quote. So essentially, the Skolkovo project was Russia's version of Silicon Valley, but it was also basically a means for them to conduct industrial espionage, steal intellectual property, steal ideas from our military, nuclear secrets, yada, yada, yada. She was actively encouraging people to invest in this project from America, from Europe, into Russia, so that they can have an overt alternative to clandestine espionage. So that's that's looking at it from a reasonable person's perspective. Again, it's Washington Post. It's supposedly the intelligence communities. It's possibly Adam Schiff leaking selective information. It's the intelligence community, the DNI, not actually having intelligence to back up the claim that Russia is helping either Trump or Bernie. And yet everyone just runs with this as if it's absolute fact. Now, let's try to look at this from the perspective of a Bernie bro who I would have to imagine is having a hard time processing this information. So let's assume for a second you're a Bernie bro. I'm a Bernie bro. We are Bernie bros. You probably are still under the assumption that Trump is a Russian asset because your savior is still preaching that message despite all of the debunking that's been done in the form of the Mueller report, the IG report, and a variety of independent investigations that have gone on from there. Also, you're probably under the disillusion that Bernie is the best candidate to defeat Trump. And since you believe the intelligence community the first time around, it would stand to reason that you still do. Why would you question them now, right? If you did, why would you question them now? So you probably are, are kind of in this cognitive dissonance area. Like I said before, I have a level of intellectual consistency about this. I didn't believe them then. I don't believe them now. You believe them then. Why don't you believe them now? And more importantly, if you think Bernie is the most likely to beat Trump, and you think Trump is a Russian, but you also accept Bernie is getting help from Russia, because you would have to, to remain somewhat intellectually consistent, why would Russia want your guy as the nominee? Do they want the communists to be president? I mean, if so, what does that say about your guy and your support of him? Do they think Bernie is most likely to beat Trump and that's what they want to, some, for some reason, remove their own puppet from office? Do you still believe the intelligence community, despite the fact that you considered their Trump-Russia information valid, and now all of a sudden you don't consider it valid against Bernie? And most importantly, if you believe Trump is a Russian puppet and you think that this new information is true and you believe that Bernie Sanders is also being helped by Russia— Aren't you guaranteeing that a Russian puppet will be the president by nominating a Russian puppet up against a Russian puppet? Because, you know, short of a third-party miracle, the only two options would then be Russian puppets. Also, let's let's assume for a second that maybe you're you're you've awoken, right? You don't believe Donald Trump is an actual Russian. Why is Bernie being helped by the Russians? Do they want a communist in as president again? I'm mean, gonna kind of go back to that. I've already mentioned that, but. 
why would they want a communist to be president if not for the fact that they realize he would be bad for the country? Because clearly the argument was is that Donald Trump would weaken America, and that's why they wanted Donald Trump as, as president. So wouldn't that same logic apply to Bernie Sanders? I just I I don't know how these fools are squaring any of this. This goes beyond mental gymnastics. It's outright mental contortion. I, I mean, it's also worth note for the simple fact that it, it is just so insanely stupid that after this report came out about Bernie Sanders getting help from the Russians, Bernie Sanders' wife was on RTV, Russian television, less than a week after that news broke. A, that's just terrible optics. Like, talk to the Obama people. They were very good at covering up their nonsense. B, what's the possible benefit of going on Russian television to talk about superdelegates and the Electoral College and the anti-democratic, democratic nominations process? It, it just, what is the benefit? Why, why would you be on Russian television talking about these things during the build-up to the campaign? And particularly, why would you do that right after the news that the Russians were helping your husband? Why does anyone care what his wife has to say is probably the most important thing about all this sort of stuff. She married the world's most successful loser. I, I don't fully care about what her thoughts are on our democracy. She married a communist. I'm sorry, your opinion, wholly invalid. Anyway, so that's really the Bernie bro situation right now, right? Bernie was running hot, got slapped around a little bit at that debate in South Carolina, came up way short of the projections for him in South Carolina when the actual primary vote was cast. And then all of this supposed information coming in about Russians trying to help him. I don't know which was most effective in, in knocking Bernie down a peg. I think it was the debate. But I do think that there's a certain level of people that hear that news and they go, oh, no. Like, even if I thought Bernie is the guy, and even if I thought he could beat Trump, if he's just going to get in and all we're going to hear for four years is the Republicans doing all the same shit that the Democrats did to Trump, I, I don't know that anybody's really willing to jump on board for that, in addition to the fact that, let's kind of face it, let's look at, you know, I, I talk to people about this all the time, most people are not really, that I talk to on the right wing, are not all that worried about Bernie Sanders. Again, I think that's mildly misguided. I'm not as worried as maybe I would be about, I'm certainly not as worried as I was about like Hillary, for instance. I, I think that Trump will probably beat Bernie. He'll probably flip a few states and he might actually win the popular vote under Bernie Sanders because I think a lot of, I think a lot of voters that are kind of somewhat centrist, somewhat moderate Democrats, and I think a lot of independents will just sit this whole thing out because they don't want to vote for Bernie or for Trump. And, and I think that could be we could actually be looking at record low voter turnout in relation to the population, I think, for this election if it ends up being Trump versus Bernie. Because unless a third party emerges that really gains some steam, I don't foresee a lot of people being super passionate that are kind of in the middle of the country there. Yeah, if you're a Bernie bro or you're a Trumpster, you're going. You're going to vote and you're going to go vote hard once, hopefully. But uh, I don't see people being you know, in the middle of the country, in the middle of the political spectrum, being super excited about going in to vote one over the other. I think a lot of those people, the ones who hated Trump, would vote for pretty much any other candidate besides Bernie. And uh, the people who maybe don't like Bernie would probably vote for any other candidate besides Trump. But those are going to be the options. So again, unless a third party emerges, maybe a Bloomberg, maybe a, a Tulsi Gabbard, maybe I don't know, whoever else could possibly throw their hat into the ring that hasn't already done so on the Democratic side of things. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, a third party is the longest of long shots, but 
it might just be what it takes in order for to get some people out to vote because I don't see a lot of people, again, being super excited about running to go vote for Bernie and Trump outside of the people who are already excited about voting for Bernie and Trump. Which brings me to my next segment here, um, and I'm delighted to report this, that the leftist media are definitely losing their grip on the conscience of America, and I think this is so good. I think this is such an encouraging sign. Um, I could give you a variety of different things. As a matter of fact, I wrote out all these notes to kind of follow up this point here, but I think it's becoming more and more obvious. I mean, everything from the the falling and ever-deteriorating of the MSNBCs and the CNNs of the world the fact that voter turnout for these primaries has not nearly been as exuberant as everybody was expecting them to be because the, the media was fully convinced that people hate Trump so much that, that there's going to be a lot more voter turnout this time around. Bernie Sanders' entire campaign is based on the idea that there's going to be a lot more voters current coming out to vote for him to try to oust Donald Trump. And frankly, those numbers simply have not been there. And let's also look at the fact that not only has Bernie Sanders risen against the wishes of the mainstream media, but the fall of Elizabeth Warren. Holy cow, this woman had this nomination on a silver fucking platter. New York Times endorsed her. MSNBC and CNN have been just going balls to the wall to try to get her more prominent. They pushed her to the front of the pack for a cup of coffee, essentially. But unfortunately for her, everybody discovered A, She's a horrible debater. B, she's lied about virtually every aspect of her life, from her heritage to being fired for being pregnant to her kids going to public school to uh, where her father worked. I guess there was like a rumor that her father was, she was making the claim her father was a janitor when that wasn't true. She's trying to connect to working class people when it's just blatantly obvious that she's just, she reeks of Ivy League, you know, Bostonian fucking liberalism that just pisses off everybody else. She, she is the quintessential elitist. She actually may be less endearing than even Hillary Clinton was. And all of that, you know, it, it shined through throughout the debates. They coddled her super, super early on. Remember, she was in the kiddie pool debates for the first couple of rounds. And then when they finally put her on the main stage, they placed her prominently in the middle. They allowed her to open. They allowed her to close. They gave her, like, every opportunity that she ha could have possibly had to shine in all those debates. Shit, I forgot what number I was up to at this point. But let's also bear in mind that she—it it obviously came to light that she basically ripped off most of her policies from Bernie Sanders. And then as Bernie Sanders has surged— and she came to the realization that she wasn't going to be able to win over those Bernie bro votes, she then has now re-moderated and kind of backed off of a lot of those policies. The problem with that is that she's already given numbers for her Medicare for All plan, which are even more outrageous than Bernie's numbers, which is hard to even fathom, being that she basically stole the entire plan from him. After all, I wrote the damn bill. Yes, you did, Bernie. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot going on with Elizabeth Warren that, it would have made all the sense in the world for her to be the candidate, particularly with the mainstream media support that she was getting, and yet none of that worked. She was their girl, but then she you know, got completely exposed over the course of the debates, not to mention, even if you're the world's biggest Elizabeth Warren supporter, you have to know that Donald Trump is going to chew her up and spit her out. When she gets onto that debate stage, she calls he calls her Pocahontas once, and she's going to shrivel into a raisin live on national television. It, it's just, it was never going to be, and despite the fact that the media tried just endlessly, and are still trying for some reason to try to get her to, to push towards the front, because they don't want Bernie either, and they see her as sort of Bernie-esque, 
but not with any of the dangers that come along with the outright communism. She also tried to make the big political move that she made was calling Bernie Sanders a sexist, a move that not even Bernie haters like myself bought for even a second. I don't like Bernie Sanders. I don't. I think his policies are radical. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's like a terrible human being, right? Like, I mean, the guy, when you listen to him talk and you don't actually take into consideration his policies, he does make a lot of sense, but that's because he makes a lot of emotional appeals. He talks about troubles that people have in this country, a lot of troubles that a lot of people have in this country, and they go, yeah, that's a problem. That needs to be fixed. Now, the problem is that Bernie Sanders' solutions are going to cause the problem to get exponentially worse, but they don't know that, and most of them don't really do the math on that sort of stuff. It's an emotional appeal. But Bernie Sanders is a genuine guy, for for the most part, I mean, he is authentic. He at least believes what he believes. His beliefs may very well be just as terrible as some of the communist dictators of the past, but he believes it, and he believes it wholeheartedly, and he rarely backs off of it. The, the idea, though, that he is somehow some sexist or some racist or any of these sorts of things, they just become empty insults that are bandied about, mostly because we've heard them being bandied about in an empty fashion against Donald Trump for the last three or four years. So when Elizabeth Warren starts sliding in the polls, and then suddenly Bernie Sanders, who's been surging in the polls, is a racist or a sexist or whatever she claimed him to be, it becomes immensely transparent that she's just doing that as a political move. This is sort of one of the wonders of Donald Trump, is that he kind of smashed through that, that ceiling, not the glass ceiling, that's the one that Hillary Clinton still got stuck over her head, but... He kind of smashed through the meta-commentary on politics. He stopped playing the political game. He stopped giving you the used car salesman shtick. And he started just telling you like it is. She's trying to, you know, get poll numbers. So that's why she's making this stuff up. Even Trump came to Bernie's defense on this one because it was so patently ridiculous. And this woman has no chance of ever. And not because she's a woman. It's because of who she is and the type of personality she has. If she were to ever sit in a room with Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un, they would devour her. Like, she has no chance, no leg to stand on, and no spine to keep her upright. And once upon a time, look, I bought into the fact that Elizabeth Warren may very well be the nominee. The main reason was the massive push from the media. And the way that she was being coddled through the debates and the, the fact that she was kind of placed to be the big fish in the small pond earlier on. And then once she ultimately got into the big pool, they kind of coddled her. They gave her every opportunity to shine. But what we saw at the end of the day was just a fragile woman, both physically and mentally, just shudder as bigger personalities drew all the attention away from her. And as a result, her poll numbers just completely collapsed. And now she's doing this whole game where she's, after calling Bernie a sexist and outright fabricating a conversation that she had with him years ago, now it becomes just blatantly obvious that she's trying so desperately to be Bernie Sanders' vice president that she has barely taken any shots at him and has gone scorched earth on the rest of the field, including mini Mike Bloomberg, who is just like, man, will somebody get this woman off the stage? Like, every time this woman opens her mouth, my net worth is taking a hit. For the love of God, people, she doesn't have a chance. Get her out of here. She's Bernie light, and I think she's really just sticking around for the same reasons that a lot of these people are going to stick around, is that she wants to, she in this particular case kind of wants to pool a reserve for Bernie. 
because she wants to be his VP. And uh, if she decides to fall out of the race, she wants to be able to say, hey, Bernie, I still got like 10% of the vote here that will all come your way if and when you decide to make me your vice president. And I could kind of be like a reservoir of votes for you, a little extra that you can kind of put off to the side until you really need it. Let's wait until Biden makes a surge here if he makes a surge. And then you could take me on as your VP. I'll drop out. A lot of my voters will go your way and we'll see where things go from there. But I kind of hope that Bernie strings her along and lets her think that she's going to be his VP nominee and then just at the last minute just picks a random Native American woman and and pretends like he thought he picked her. Um, That would be sort of hilarious because let's face it, Bernie, not going to win in November in all likelihood. So I kind of hope he has some fun with the rest of these people along the way because he is an anti-establishment Democrat. He was an independent until five minutes ago when they forced him to designate himself as a Democrat for the purposes of joining the, the, the nomination pool here. I think this is sort of hilarious that Bernie Sanders has kind of all of the power now over Elizabeth Warren after she basically called him a, you know, basically called him a sexist on national television and no one believed her, which is the funniest part about all of it. Hashtag believe all women. Anyway, uh, before I get into Bernie in particular here, because I do have some thoughts on Bernie, let me play you a little song, right? It's been a little while since I've done a parody song here. Bernie Sanders is famous for having honeymooned in Russia. Not exactly where I would have honeymooned. Actually, let me be more specific. He honeymooned in the USSR. It wasn't really Russia at the time. It was still very much Soviet communist Russia at the time. Not that it's all that different now. It's just uh, the gift wrapping is a little different, I guess. But Bernie loved his time in Russia. As a matter of fact, he was seen, and there's a video out there of him shirtless, singing around a table with a bunch of Russians, And of course, they are singing, This Land is Your Land, which is just kind of a vaguely communist sentiment to begin with. But there he is, drunk as a skunk, shirtless as all hell, singing the song with a bunch of Russians during the Soviet era of the USSR. And as a result of that, I was actually able to get in touch with Bernie Sanders. I wrote this song here that I think is probably a little bit more accurately reflective of his thoughts. And he was kind enough to come in and record the vocals. So, ladies and gentlemen, right here on The Right Opinion, I present to you Bernie Sanders singing, Not this land is your land, but this cash was your cash. Here he is. This cash was your cash, but now it's my cash. If you get hungry, you can always eat cats from Venezuela. All the way to Moscow Your cash was made to give to me As I went walking Over to my third house I'm taking food right Out of your mouth And saw below me All of you peasants Your cash was made to give to me There isn't a tyrant I haven't supported For some reason that went unreported But now I'm winning and it is too oozly Your cash was made to give to me I'll replace old glory with a hammer and sickle I'll tax you six cents For every nickel 
go and I'll be sworn in on the Communist Manifesto. Your cash was made to give to me. This cash was your cash, but now it's my cash. If you get hungry, you can always eat cats from Venezuela all the way to Moscow. Your cash was made to give to me. Your cash was made to give to me. Vote for me, Bernie Sanders. Free unicorns for everybody. Well, free unicorns. I mean, fuck it. Maybe I'll vote for him now. I'm kidding. Meanwhile, let's get back into Bernie here. His rise actually isn't all that shocking to me. Um, I mean, it's he's got an army to a certain degree. Now, it is not a, quote, army of badass motherfuckers, end quote, as Bill Maher apparently thinks. But the future, you know, baristas and future disability insurance defrauders of the world, they do like Bernie Sanders. And, uh, however, you know, make no mistake about it, these people are dangerous. They're not necessarily badass motherfuckers, but their ignorance is potentially going to drive our country into the arms of a communist. It's, it's frightening. It really is that these people are so openly willing to admit that they're losers, right? There's no other way of tiptoeing around this. If you want the government to take care of you, if you want them to make all of your decisions, provide you with health care, with an education, with free room and board, a $22 minimum wage, whatever it is, you're a loser. You can't go out and get it done on your own. Now, am I the most successful human being in the history of the world? No, but I'd much rather struggle and try to accomplish something for myself than ever sit around and just beg for the government's help on things. And do I take the government's help on things on occasion? Like, yeah, I have. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I haven't. I would put myself at a disadvantage if I hadn't because other people are, but to, to suggest that I want them to have more control over things, it's just, it's, it's unfathomable to me. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody that if you really sat them down and you asked them, like, do you think the government doesn't have enough power? Like, they would be like, yeah, you know what, the government really needs more power. These idiots are actually openly calling for the government to have all of the power. They think Bernie is going to come in and wave this magical wand that apparently Obama didn't know existed that Trump found to create all these jobs. Bernie's got his own magical wand where he's going to come in and he's going to take all of your problems away. I've got news for you, folks. If you're the type of person who's relying on these systems in order to have a functioning life, your problems aren't going to go away because Bernie Sanders comes in and gives you everything for free. They're probably only going to get worse. I mean, you're literally putting your faith into the least efficient entity ever constructed by man, government. Literally, government, never, ever the best option. But if you're the type of loser who doesn't think that they're going to be able to ever accomplish anything on their own, I can fully understand why you would want the government to provide everything for you. But for those of us who actually have, you know, talent, self-worth, a modicum of intelligence, we want to go out and get things done for ourselves because we know, based on the entirety of government's inefficiencies, um, that we can do, we could do it better, and we could provide better for ourselves. And more importantly, is that the minutia of the details, you know, the decisions that need to be made on our day-to-day -day lives, are much better made by us than by some entity thousands of miles away that has no personal connection to you. Why would they care about how your life actually is? All they're doing, all Bernie Sanders is doing is taking an institution that he claims to be built on all of this racism and this corruption and 
all of the nasty things that he's ever said about America, never once really ever saying anything nice about it. I'm not above criticism of America. I think America has its problems. And some of them are problems that Bernie addresses. Again, his solutions are just batshit crazy and will never work and will never pass. And if they did, may very well ruin the greatest society ever conceived. But that said, as much as these people are losers and hapless and pathetic as they may be, they are very motivated because this is their chance to enact their safe space dwelling 95 gender baby murdering gun grabbing wrap everybody in bubble wrap and give them a participation trophy total government takeover into law. Right now they now it's just an idea, right? It's a dumbass thing that somebody with a pussy hat has on a sign. More government, more of this. They don't actually say those words, but that's what they're calling for because that's the only way to implement these radical policies that they're suggesting. And right now you know, it's just a bunch of people whining on Twitter. It's just a bunch of people on MSDNC and at the Oscars. And yes, I'd like to, to go back to a time before the complete widespread full-scale mental breakdown of half of the American people. But I'm not going to give them what they want simply because they cried for it. These people are children. They are children, and they need to be treated accordingly. As a matter of fact, it's that's actually an insult to children. For instance, my child at all of 11 years old, much smarter than your average Bernie bro. And I explain things to her. She just immediately looks at me and goes, why would people want that? Why do people do that? Now, obviously, she's getting my spin, right? But I try to give her the facts, right? I try to let her know the two sides of things. And she immediately recognizes that the side of more freedom and less government and, you know, more ability to control your own life is inherently a good thing. Meanwhile, the Bernie supporters, the radical leftists, these people are such mental midgets that they actually have to lean on the words of children because their feeble points are just that feeble and would never, ever stand up against scrutiny from an intelligent adult. So they push a child out there, the Greta Thunbergs and the David Hoggs of the world, and they say, you guys go make our point for us. So that way, when somebody from the right counters the argument, then the left can scream to the heavens that the, these monsters are attacking children. I... Just, I don't even know what to say to these people anymore. It's just, it's frightening. They have virtually no knowledge of anything or how it works. I would suggest that they pick up a book and maybe start with something on their reading level. I hear Everybody Poops is a, is a pretty easy read. Maybe they should give it a look. But this situation has become so dire with the media actually losing control that people like Chris Matthews are starting to make sense. Yes, that Chris Matthews. As a matter of fact, here's a clip of Chris Matthews talking about the rise of Bernie Sanders. The issue of this campaign, it is that word socialism. Some people like it, younger people like it. Those of us like me who grew up in the, grew up in the Cold War and saw some aspects of it after visiting places like Vietnam, like I have, and seeing countries like Cuba being there, I've seen what socialism is like. I don't like it, okay? It's not only not free, it doesn't freaking work. Now, what's funny about that clip is it sort of exemplifies the shift from old Dems versus old Republicans to new Dems versus new Republicans. Old Democrats are still somewhat reasonable about what makes America America. They were liberal, they were anti-war, they were anti-censorship, and that is most definitely not the Democratic Party of today, whereas the old Republicans would sit back and just take it because they lacked the conviction to push back for fear of being framed as racist or sexist. That's now out the window, and we are pushing back and fighting back harder than ever before. The old Dems, unfortunately, have now been reduced to Chris Matthews, who actually said something that made sense here, while the rest of the 95-person panel on MSDNC just stared at him, rolled their eyes, and said, Okay, boomer. Just ridiculous. New Democrats 
hate America. There's really no way about it. If you listen to every one of them, they talk about how terrible America is, how racist America is, how corrupt America is. None of them ever have anything nice to say about America. It makes you wonder, like, why you would put them in charge of America. It's like, would you put Hitler in charge of your synagogue? Like, (laughs) I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense at the end of the day. These people have nothing nice to say about the country that they want to take over, and not only take over, but take over and then give themselves more power than any administration had ever had prior, which is exactly what communism ends up doing, is concentrating power to the middle. Yes, it won't all specifically be in the hands of the president per se, but it will most definitely be in the hands of the president and Congress. And I mean, thankfully, we've got a somewhat majority on the Supreme Court. So maybe a lot of these things could get overturned, even if by some miracle they do get through Congress and are signed by Czar Sanders. But the new Republicans, the Trump Republicans on the other end of things, they don't hate America. They love America and they are no longer taking it lying down and, and we understand that the principles upon which the greatest civilization to ever exist was founded must be defended. Free speech, free markets, free thought, the right to protect yourself, the presumption of innocence. These aren't just nice-to-haves. These are essentials that we need to maintain in order to continue the most successful societal experiment in the history of the world, America. Now, the problem for new Democrats is that the new Republicans— are right. We're right. I mean, there's there's really no two ways around it. America's one of the greatest, most freest, most prosperous, safest, uh, you know, if just everything. Just check all the boxes. America's got it in spades. That's why millions of people want to come here, and there are not millions of people flooding out of our borders to go elsewhere. The old Democrats, like Chris Matthews, are unfortunately becoming aware that their party is spiraling out of control, and it's never a good sign of the state of your party when Chris Matthews has become the voice of reason. And yet, that's where the Democrats find themselves today. But the big problem for the media, for the Democrats, and all of that other stuff is they're losing their audience, and they're losing their allies. They're now fighting amongst each other. Even Hollywood is beginning to shift back a little bit towards reality, whether they want to recognize it or not. There's a lot of comedians out there that are not even right-leaning, but their comedy is starting to shift back towards the middle, if not a little bit back towards the right. And uh, people are trying to cancel them for it, but they're still immensely successful because at the end of the day, while they might say one thing on Twitter, they still, you know, they'll, they'll sit at home in the comfort of their, uh, of their footy pajamas and watch Netflix and they'll laugh at a Bill Burr special or they'll laugh at a Dave Chappelle special. The two biggest stand-up specials of the year last year were panned and canceled by the extreme left of the media trying to get these people canceled because they said some mildly politically incorrect things that happened to be based in reality, which is why they were funny and people actually laughed at them. You know what? Journalists, you're not all that great at journalism. Maybe leave the comedy to the comedians. Just saying. Anyway. And then you think about the super woke movies that nobody watches, the the you know, they win a bunch of Oscars for some reason not having anything to do with the quality of the film. No one watches the Oscars anymore either. They make these movies to kind of spread their propaganda in subtle, more subliminal manners, yet no one is watching them. And they tried to spin Joker, a movie people did actually watch, into a pro-liberal message when it's largely apolitical and actually hits both sides pretty evenly, I thought. 
the movie literally features, features people in clown masks holding up signs that say resist. So if you're a leftist out there and you think the message of Joker was pro-your-bullshit ideology, I'm sorry to tell you that Todd Phillips painted you as a clown literally in the movie. Uh, you know, spin that however you'd like, but at the end of the day, he's right. You're a clown. This is the movie that, by the way, they think kind of aligned with their ideologies. You know, the one about a raving psychopath fighting against the system. Actually, come to think of it, Bernie Sanders and Arthur Fleck actually have a lot in common. So let's hop over to now the silver screen, or from the silver screen, rather, to your computer screen. Like I mentioned, the Netflix specials from Burr and from Chappelle, neither are Republicans, conservatives. Bill Burr, I actually listen to his podcast all the time, and at least once an episode, he says something that's vaguely leftist that actually kind of drives me crazy, and I almost turn it off, but I end up sticking through because Bill Burr's hilarious. Now, they're both of the left, but their comedy remarkably conservative at times, right? Chappelle's shtick about juicy small a and the alphabet people could easily be ripped directly out of an episode of Louder with Crowder and Owen Benjamin stand-up or or even a show, uh, an Andrew Clavin show episode. These, these people are all comedians of the right. And this material, as a matter of fact, the Dave Chappelle alphabet people sketch is remarkably similar to a sketch that Owen Benjamin had done uh, I wish I could find it. It's buried deep into the watch history on my YouTube at this point because I've watched a bunch of Owen Benjamin specials. But he does a whole shtick that is almost identical to the Dave Chappelle Alphabet People sketch from his special. And if you haven't gone to watch it, Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones, Netflix, check it out, pirate it. I don't care how you do it. Stop giving Netflix your money. But um, yeah, there's there's plenty of other ways to find it if you uh, know how to navigate the interwebs. I suggest you do so. Meanwhile, you know, the actual audiences for these programs and for these specials loved it. Like, the crowd loved Chappelle's special, while the super-woke, fully indoctrinated liberal arts majors of the Rotten Tomatoes critic pool loathed it. Dave Chappelle sticks and stones, looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. Audience score from 40,000 user ratings, 99% approval. The tomato meter from their hand-picked critics... 35%. Now, I've talked about this before, and it might seem trivial, but as I always like to say, actually, I like like to quote Andrew Breitbart, is that politics is downstream from culture. This is culture, and politics ultimately gets affected by it. There's probably a few people that watch the Dave Chappelle special, and as silly and as funny and as, you know, non-serious as the entire thing was, they probably listened to that Alphabet People section of it and went, yeah, what is going on there exactly? And maybe it makes you think twice about it. Maybe it starts to make you wonder, even if you're in the LGBTQ community, if you can, you know, listen to that special and actually get through that without being triggered and turning it off, it might, you know, raise some awareness to the fact that you're part of a pool of people that vaguely have some stuff in common, but often their interests kind of collide in a, in a really brash way when you think about it. I mean, the idea of being gay or being lesbian, or being bisexual for that matter, really has nothing to do with being trans or questioning or asexual or, you know, whatever the other AIPQ2 plus whatever that is. Those things don't have anything to do with one another. Being gay, being lesbian, being bisexual is a preference. You prefer the romantic company of a particular person of a particular gender. That has nothing to do with thinking you're a different person of a different gender. There's completely different things, and they actually kind of run counter to one another, right? If if gender is fluid, 
then what are gay people? What are lesbians? Because they are operating off of a system that really functions from a binary, even, even the bisexuals. Bisexual, bi meaning two. That's kind of been sprawled out to pansexual to in, in some circles of the more radical LGBTQ members, but even the bisexuals are recognizing there's only two choices here. It's men or women, and those people happen to enjoy the romantic company of both, but not everything else, all the other 93 genders or whatever it may be. So it's like if you pay attention here, you might realize that you've been lied to and kind of hurdled, uh, kind of herded into a particular group that might not always have your best interests at heart. Now, the Rotten Tomatoes, they're going to get back to that. They got raked over the coals for the disparity between the fan scores and the tomato meter, and they learned their lesson by the time Bill Burr's special came out about a month later. But they did publish one particular post that I thought was rather interesting and worth note here. So I'm going to read this from IanThomasMalone.com. Ian is obviously a radical leftist because he was... He, even amongst the scores that they posted in here, his was the most radical and ridiculous of all of them. So let me read from that site. This is about Bill Burr's Paper Tiger, and I guess the headline is Bill Burr Paper Tiger Struggles to Get Past Its Flimsy Metro Commentary. From the article, and I quote, For all the talk of Burr wanting to trigger people, his most outrageous bits never feel edgy enough to pack the desired punch. He talks about wanting to drive by a woman's rally, yelling outrageous things in an effort to see people flail around in agony, struggling to contain his laughter at the imagery. Sure, owning the libs has become an internet meme, but the whole segment plays out like Burr actually believes he can inspire such terror with his words. Pause. You people tell us that. All the time. This is why Ben Shapiro is banned from speaking at Berkeley and from all of the other conservatives that are banned from speaking at college campuses is that you clowns keep telling us that words are violence. So Bill Burr just took that one step further and said, oh, words are violence? Awesome. Let me use my words to inspire such terror, as Mr. Malone puts it. Back to the article, and I quote, a telling moment in the special came when a heckler shouted about consent as Burr lamented the plight of women who enjoyed rough sex in the Me Too era. Understandably, Burr was annoyed at having his rhythm disrupted, but he also reacted with indignation at the idea that people were questioning his very understanding of consent. His reaction exists in stark contrast to his opening segments. A man who doesn't want you to think he's a sexist pig while telling jokes that depict him as such. I don't even understand where he's going here. I mean, I don't think Bill Burr's comedy shtick has ever kind of shied away from being mildly sexist. That's always been part of his stuff. He does it all the time, and he does it in front of women and works alongside a lot of women in the world of comedy. He actually had his wife on the show recently, and he was doing sexist and racist jokes and all that kind of stuff, things that would be projected, you know, would be categorized as sexist or racist. She's a black woman. She didn't take one bit of offense to it, obviously, because she knows he's not coming from a place of hate. He fucking married her. But getting back into this article here, because this is really where it drives the point home. Ian continues, and I quote, He's provocative for sure, taking aim at Stephen Hawking and Michelle Obama, occasionally earning a chuckle in the process. The jokes themselves don't really dive deeper than surface-level humor about living with debilitating disease like ALS or being a first lady with ambitions beyond mere photo ops. The shock value is there for those who laugh at things they wouldn't feel comfortable saying in public. So this guy, 
Ian Thomas Malone, Ian Malone Thomas, Thomas Malone, Ian Ian It doesn't matter what his name is! It's, it really doesn't. But this guy, he's a lib. He's clearly upset with the fact that people enjoy his misery. The Schadenfreude is there. I'm included in that group, by the way, Mr. Whatever-the-fuck-your-name-is. He ignores the reality that the left are actually the ones that tell us how much terror words can cause and that they actually go as far as to equate it to actual physical violence. Now, there was one line in there that I'm sure even you were like, huh? And that line, of course, was occasionally earning a chuckle in the process. Well... I happen to find a clip of Mr. Burr's special here, and let me see if I can get that for you so that you can hear exactly what the, quote, occasional earning a chuckle in the process sounds like. Yeah, no, it's a very, uh, I don't know, times are changing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Michelle Obama's doing an arena tour. That's another thing going on. I'm going to say that again. Michelle Obama. Is doing an arena tour. She's not playing comedy clubs. She's doing arenas. When did first ladies start acting like they got elected? You know? Dude, being a first lady, that's not a fucking job. Just standing there smiling and waving. Right? Look how quiet is it in here. Why is it so fucking quiet? You think that's a job? It's not a fucking job. Dude, if you really think it's a job, just look at him, right? Look at Obama. When that guy got elected, he looked like he was about 41 years old. When he left office, that guy looked like he was about 73, right? Look at Michelle. She looks younger now than she did when that dude got elected. What has she done for the last eight years? Yeah, other than laying a giant vat of Illuminati-level lotion just sit here floating. So if that sounded like raucous laughter to you, congratulations, you're not hard of hearing. Uh, definitely more than the occasionally earning a chuckle in the process. And people wonder why I say that they live in an alternate reality. This person clearly lives in an alternate reality if they think that Bill Burr is merely grabbing the occasional chuckle. And these are the same people, mind you, who think that comedy comes in the form of Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel, who are supposedly still funny, despite the fact that they aren't actually doing any comedy these days. As a matter of fact, what they do can be described as nothing short of activism. Stephen Colbert spent years pushing the Russia hoax, and Pope Jimmy spent years lecturing us about health care and gun control. These shows are on major networks and don't even see the ratings of an average Fox News primetime show. They're losing. The left is losing. And they're either too dumb to care or they're too dumb to notice because they never step outside of their bubble to see the real world. And that brings me to yet another comedian of the left, quote-unquote, Samantha Bee. Most famous for calling Ivanka Trump a feckless cunt, uh, Samantha Bee has become relevant via literal fake news shows like The Daily Show and, uh, and now has a pseudo-comedy politics show that espouses fake news called Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, an idea that frankly makes me a little bit nauseous. But a recent tirade was against Prager University, yet another example of how the left is losing. Samantha Bee, for instance, has a show on a major cable network. I think it's on TNT or TBS or one or the other. They're basically the same network. Um, and for some reason, 
she's unable to draw the ratings or the viewership that your average PragerU video is. She claims it's racist, it's sexist, or it's run by all of the worst kinds of people. She pokes fun at the fact that it's not really a university, which PragerU actually states on their website, which she points out and thinks that that's some sort of, sort of, you know, some sort of way of proving her point. Prager University is a 501c3 charitable organization that is designed to spread information that you're clearly not getting in the mainstream media. Now, one of my favorite videos from PragerU is actually done by Heather McDonald, and she talks about whether or not the police are racist, and she breaks down all of these metrics that show, despite the fact that you're told on the media uh, by the media all the time that police are actively out there trying to shoot black people and have all of these issues and are doing all these things that are racist and systematically so, this video breaks down how incorrect that notion is. It talks about how um, you are more likely to be shot by a police officer if you're white or Hispanic than you are by a black person. You're 18 times more likely to be shot as a police officer by a person of color, then you are the other way around, and they break down all these statistics, they give you the FBI numbers, they break it all down in nice, neat, easy-to-absorb graphics, and usually in the form of short videos. Now, I mean, that's my favorite just because I think it does such a good job of breaking it down. It's not that I'm married one way or another to the particular ideology, but I think upon watching that video, and I will have the notes, uh, the link in the show notes for you, after you watch that, it's really hard to believe anything that the mainstream media has told you about all these cases. And again, take into consideration, the media is essentially, you know, the, everyone kind of mocks clickbait. Now, that's all that the mainstream media does these days. They never cover the story about the cop that was shot by, uh, by a black person during a routine stop or the cop that was saved a black person from some sort of crime. You know, for all the talk of stop and frisk and its supposed racism in New York City, and I have... I have friends who were touched by this, so like I'm not completely ignorant to the idea that stop and frisk was a little bit more of a police state tactic than I would generally like to see, but the idea that broken windows policing is ineffective is just a fallacy, is that if you continue to let small petty crimes go, the people who commit those crimes, in addition to continuing to commit those crimes, eventually escalate to more violent crimes or bigger deal, you know, crimes that are a much bigger deal and have a greater impact on society. So to stop people for minor drug offenses or for minor, um, you know, minor just general offenses, a little like breaking and entering or whatever the case may be, those things need to be stopped and punished swiftly and with regularity, and then that ultimately creates less crime down the road. Now, stop and frisk, while obviously some people were victimized by it to a certain degree, it also cut murder rates in half in New York City. Let me say that again. It cut murder rates in half in New York City. 1,500 people were being shot and were being killed, in, not shot and killed necessarily, but killed in New York City prior to Giuliani implementing stop and frisk. And after stop and frisk had been implemented a year later, 750 deaths roughly in New York City. So cut murder rates in half. And who do you think those lives were exactly? Do you think that the 750 lives spared were the uh, the rich elites that live on the Lower East Side? No, they were the people that were in the same communities as the people who were being, quote, victimized by the policies. A lot of people of color, a lot of women, a lot of this, that, and the other thing. All of those lives spared because of this policy. Now, I'm not somebody who suggests that we need to have overbearing police state tactics 
in all or virtually any occasion. But when you have 1,500 people being murdered in your city every year, it's time to open your eyes and do something about it. And then you can scale those measures back once the crime subsides if you think scaling them back won't drastically cause them to rise again. But PragerU being attacked by Samantha B is is an example and probably the prime example of the left losing. They are losing their message. They are losing their ability to go out there and, and just propagandize, gaslight people because of institutions like PragerU that put out short, succinct, statistics-based information, and they have it coming from a variety of different people. Yes, mostly from the right. There are some people on the left or of the left that have done that in the past. There's also people that don't necessarily consider themselves, quote, conservative, I guess, in the conventional sense, like somebody like a David Rubin, uh, Dave Rubin, rather. He is uh, he's more of a libertarian type. He's more of a he refers to himself as a classical liberal, which I guess in a lot of respects kind of goes arm in arm with conservatism, but this is a this is a guy who, uh, who who is openly gay, obviously, and he's obviously been shunned by the left for having some of the views that he has. People like Dave Rubin have a far greater reach than people like Samantha B, and they simply cannot have that, so they need to attack PragerU on her stupid show. And this kind of brings me back around to Chris Matthews again, right? When he's starting to speak out because he sees what's going on around him. There's a couple of things that you could take away from some of his comments he made recently. In addition to the clip I played for you before, he was talking about Bernie winning the Nevada primary, and he he made a terrible World War II analogy, kind of comparing it to uh, the Germans taking over France and saying that it's over. They called the British. They said it's over. And Britain said, well, what do you mean it's over? You guys have the best army in, in Europe, which is actually kind of laughable when I think about it, being that the French military has like virtually never won a war. But they, apparently they had a very strong military at the time. And um, Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders winning was likened to the idea that the Germans had overrun France and that it was too late and that it was over. And it was a terrible analogy, but it also kind of shines light on the fact that our our country here and a lot of people who speak about politics are just so ahistorical that they only really reference one of two things. A lot of the time, if you ever see somebody on the news and they're making a historical reference, then 90% of the time that historical reference goes back to either the fall of Rome or Hitler. Because those are the things that stand out in their minds, and they don't have a lot of knowledge about anything that happened in between, before, or after. That is exactly what Chris Matthews is actually paying a little bit of attention to here, because he's aware of the 50s revolutionary politics that Bernie's espousing. He knows they don't work. He, he, he doesn't think that they'll ever get implemented anyway. And all of those things are reasons to be concerned if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter. But Chris Matthews kind of made the same mistake that a lot of people make and that he made this reference to World War II. And I think that's sort of indicative of Bernie Sanders' rise in that because people are so historically ignorant, they're unaware of those 1950s politics. They're unaware of that revolutionary uh, communist movement, a revolutionary, quote-unquote. It was a revolution, but it was not you know, a good thing, ultimately, at the end of the day, as time ultimately showed we fought the Cold War, we fought the Korean War, we fought Vietnam, like we fought physical wars in order to stop Bernie Sanders' ideology from spreading. And then Bernie has the gall to say things like, what I'm saying isn't that radical. Yes, Bernie, that's kind of part of the problem, right? Like radical is relative. 
And the fact that his ideologies aren't radical anymore is exhibit A of what I just talked about, in that there's a, a drastic lack of historical knowledge because if people, particularly the ass-clown millennials who seem to think that Bernie Sanders is the savior of this country, if they had any idea what communism or what, what socialism ultimately leads to, which is communism, what communism ultimately brings to the people under it, which is poverty, misery, and death— they wouldn't be supporting him. But because they don't have educations, they have indoctrinations, because they go to universities that are run by radical crazy leftists, they think that this is all a good idea. Half of the greatest, freest, most prosperous, mightiest nation in the history of the world is ready to nominate a communist to the highest office in the land. We literally fought wars to prevent this ideology from spreading because, again, it has killed millions of people. Millions of people. Now, in fairness to Pol Pot's biggest fan, Bernie Sanders, his goals are not that radical, as I've mentioned in the past. Cheaper health care, cheaper schools, cheaper, cheaper child care, all of those things are wonderful on their face. We'd all like to achieve those somehow. But the way that he wants to fix those things is by centralizing government power, raising taxes, and taking decisions away from people who have always been able to make decisions for themselves, largely because, again, we live in the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. All of these goals that Bernie Sanders wants to meet are great, but his methods of getting there are A, un-American, B, won't work, C, won't pass, D, will tank our economy, E, would double if not triple our already exorbitant debt within the next 10 years. F, would cause massive job loss, particularly in the healthcare and the energy industry. And G, I'm like, my God, I'm down this list. And these plans, as mentioned by Mayor Pete, strangely enough, during this South Carolina debate, go way further than the supposedly socialist governments that he touts as being already implementing these things. By the way, all of these Scandinavian quote-unquote socialist havens that Bernie has been painting have all denied that these places are socialist. They operate under a free market, and they actually were more socialist at one point, but realized the error of their ways, realized that there was a, a, a flattening of technological and economic growth, so they had to revert back to more of a free market system. This includes wealth taxes in France, I believe Germany as well. They had to repeal those because they understand that they don't work. And Denmark, the you know the bastion of wonderful Bernie-esque socialism that he keeps talking about. Denmark has outright claimed, we are not a socialist country, please stop saying so. But even if you want to operate under the assumption that it's a capitalist country with some you know, massive social welfare programs, fair enough. But let's also look at what goes on in those countries. Denmark's average, average personal income tax is 55.4%. That means 55.4 cents out of every dollar you earn goes to the government. That is higher than the wealthiest person in America, what they pay in national and state income taxes combined by a good 5%. And that's their average personal income. So Bernie wants to eliminate your job, your ability to choose your health care plan, and then he wants to tax you 55% of every dollar you earn so that you can have mediocre health care at best, pay for other people's kids' child care and education, and presumably scoop the poop of the brand new unicorn that's been provided to every American citizen. 
Please tell me again how this benefits anyone other than losers, morons, and the lazy fucks that think Bernie Sanders is going to be their savior via ideologies that have literally never, ever worked and resulted in anything other than massive death, starvation, and misery. That ideology obviously being communism. Now, Bernie paints himself as a democratic socialist, which, as I've explained in the past, but will explain again here, is only mildly different than regular socialism, which is inevitably going to lead to communism, as stated by Joseph Lenin himself. But uh, the democratic socialist nonsense that he's perpetuating is actually even more cowardly than regular old socialism. Socialism says that the government seizes the means of production in a democratic socialist society, my guess would be, is that the government isn't going to actually seize the means of production. Rather, they are going to regulate the shit out of all businesses to the point to where they're basically making all of the ownership-type decisions for these these markets, these industries, without actually putting forth their own money. So they're going to ask you to open up a business, and then they are going to make all of the decisions having to do with that business. Bernie Sanders, whether he says it or not, is a communist. He's actually was a member of the People's Workers' Party, which is otherwise known as the Communist Party when he was running for mayor in Burlington, Vermont. He wants the nationalization of all major industries. This is something he stated back in his 30s, and his uh, his big debu- debunking of this notion is that, well, I didn't do it when I was the mayor of Burlington. Yes, because you can't nationalize things when you're the mayor of a small town in Vermont. I'm sorry, that's just not how nationalization works, nor would you have had the power to do so. So I don't understand why you would think that that's a counterargument, but this is the type of logic you get from Bernie Sanders, because he doesn't have a whole lot to work with. He has called for the nationalization of not only healthcare outright, but he ultimately would like the banks to be nationalized and schools to be nationalized so that he can have control over every dollar and every mind and every you know living being basically through those two mechanisms. He wants a system based on from each according to their ability to each according to their need, directly ripped out of Marxist ideology. He, you know, his positions that he's had since the 30s, which were communist positions, have never changed. He's just rebranded them to be more palatable for the morons who are willing to open up their ideas, uh, open up their minds to this sort of stupid. Now, in terms of communism, actually, I got a nice little clip here from Don Jr. Donald Trump Jr. was speaking at a rally uh, earlier, maybe a week or two ago. He was opening up for the Donald, obviously, and he was talking about Bernie Sanders' ideology, the communism, the socialism. His mother, uh, Donald Trump's first wife, actually escaped communism in Czechoslovakia when she was growing up. And he actually went there when he was a kid. His family wanted him to go there and see, you know, what exactly is happening over there so that he can understand the freedoms that he has in America are as great as they are by comparison. So here's Don Jr. at that rally talking about just that. Take it away, Don. Know a little bit about communism because my mother escaped from it. No, she did. My mother escaped from communist Czechoslovakia. And I always said, you know what? It's interesting. They can get people to get up on stages like this. The crowds are much smaller, like three people. But they can get them to get up on a stage and talk about the Green New Deal being a wonderful economic plan. But they can't find someone from Cuba. They can't find someone from Venezuela. They can't find someone from China to say, let's bring that shit here. 
there's just sort of something wonderful about a very simple, very easy to understand argument, and it's true. Even people like Anna Navarro, who are, I guess, supposed Republicans, but not really big fans of the president, even they've come out to speak out against what, what Bernie Sanders is saying, because, look, Bernie Sanders, he could spin it all he wants. If you have anything positive to say about a dictator, it, it leads me to believe that you could very well end up being a dictator, because... Like, let's think about it. I mean, all of the dictators that have ever existed, I'm sure you could find some positive things, right? Like Hitler being the fucking monster that he was. You know, he's responsible for Volkswagen and the Autobahn. Those are actually pretty wonderful things if you could put them in a vacuum. But you can't put them in a vacuum because to do that would be to ignore the millions upon millions of people that died because Hitler craved power and hated Jews. So I, I'm the, the idea that, well, Castro, he, he helped people to read. The, inter- the literacy rate went up under him. Yeah, okay, that's because people were told what to read, and if they didn't read it, they were killed, because that's the loveliness of an all-powerful central government. So I'm going to actually go back to Don Jr. in a minute, because he had one of the most epic Twitter takedowns of all time, and I want to share it with you before I send you home, because I like to kind of go out on a high note. But uh, there was one other thing that I really wanted to share with you about Joe Biden's son. Now, I probably would have let this go. And for those of you who haven't listened to it already, go back and check out my episode called The Biden Crime Family. It goes into all of the the, 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 the Bidens, basically. There's a litany of them that have made money off of Joe being involved in government. And furthermore, uh, it goes into what Biden may have been doing in Ukraine with Obama and John Kerry's knowledge, potentially starting a proxy war under, you know, without telling Congress and all that sort of stuff. Definitely worth checking all that out. But since that report came out, there was actually one other thing that came out about Hunter Biden. So Hunter Biden is involved in this investment group. He's one of the founders of this investment group called Bohai Harvest RST. I actually did talk about that in that episode, but it appears that the corruption there goes even above and beyond what we initially noticed. So let me tell you about Uyghurs. Uh, U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. Uyghurs, Uyghurs, Uyghurs. Um, the pronunciation, I've heard a bunch of different ones, but neither here nor there. I actually didn't know about this particular group of people until it became a bit of a controversy around the NBA. So for the kind of rewind several months now, maybe even close to a year, is that there were some fans at an NBA game holding up signs that say Google Uyghurs or Uyghurs, however you want to pronounce it. The fans were told to put these signs away, and this sparked all sorts of controversy for all of about five minutes about how the NBA kowtows to the Chinese government. And that story went away almost immediately about the persecution of the Uyghurs. Uh, but that story is still very much ongoing over in China. Now, for those of you unaware of who Uyghurs are, and frankly, I didn't know either until I Googled Uyghurs as a result of these fans that held up these signs and this controversy that came out of it. Uyghurs are a group of Muslims that live in China and are currently and actively being rounded up, put into death camps, and obviously eventually killed. Think of them as a preview to Bernie's gulags, except, you know sub-conservatism in for Islam, I suppose. And how are all of these Chinese rounding up all of these Uyghurs? Well, they're using a facial recognition software, but not just any facial recognition software. No, no. They're using a very specific facial recognition software called Face++. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the big investors in Face++, a division of Chinese startup Megvi, M-E-G-V-I-I, 
is an investment firm known as, drum roll please, Bohai Harvest RST. Yes, Hunter Biden's investment firm. So Hunter Biden is not only partnered with the government of China, who is actively persecuting these people, throwing them into death camps, but he invested in this Chinese startup company, Megvi, who's developing Face++, which is directly responsible for the rounding up of all of these Uyghurs, and they're being thrown into death camps. So yes, right now, there's projections anywhere between 800,000 and 2 million people in these death camps. And we can thank Hunter Biden, who apparently is good at something, and that's aiding the Chinese in persecuting Muslims. Props, bro. Anyway, so let's get into, I wanted, I teased this a little bit before, I'm going to get back into it right now. Don Jr., with the most epic takedown possibly in the history of Twitter. I know I'm a little bit biased on this one, but this one truly was glorious. So Claire McCaskill, former senator for the state of Missouri, now an analyst for MSNBC and I believe somewhere, uh, some other liberal outlet. It's sort of irrelevant at the moment, but she gets just absolutely rocked by Don Jr. on Twitter because she had the nerve to send out this picture, and it was a picture maybe on Air Force One, maybe on a, on another jet of some sort. It's, it's a fairly packed trip here. It looks like everybody on board is obviously Republican or at the very least right-leaning. Everybody's wearing Keep Iowa Great hats as they were on the way to the Trump rally that was being held on the night before the Iowa caucus. Claire McCaskill tweets this picture of everybody on the plane. Now, if you look at this plane, or this picture of this plane, dead center in the frame is Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, the sleepy doctor, some of us lovingly refer to him. And he just so happens to look like he's not actually sitting in a seat because he's not. He's kind of squatted down in the aisle. He's dead center in the picture, and obviously Claire McCaskill, in her infinite bigotry, she seems to think that Don, uh, that Ben Carson is only there so that they can have a black person in the video. Mind you, there are other people of color in this picture. I mean, you have to zoom a little bit to see some of them, but there are definitely women of color all throughout this picture. She tweets out this picture with Ben Carson, again, right there in the middle of the frame, with the following quote, and I quote, one of these things is not like the other. Hint, they made him squat in the aisle so he was visible. So she's obviously, again, trying to espouse the idea that Ben Carson is only there and only visible because he's the one black guy on the plane and that the Trump administration is trying to show how woke they are, which is not really something that the Trump administration or right-wingers do in general. Don Jr. had enough of this shit. He responded, Hi, Claire. Two problems with your tweet. One, Dr. Ben Carson did not have a seat in this pick because he was sitting in first class with my family. Two, Dr. Carson is not a thing. He's a world-renowned, life-saving neurosurgeon. Anyway, how's unemployment? Which is glorious. And he actually goes on to send a picture to prove, once and for all, that Dr. Ben Carson was, in fact, sitting in first class. You could see him in the picture that he tweets out, in the top left, you could see the top of his head because he appears to be kind of looking down and reading something, presumably. Meanwhile, you could see Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle sitting right there up front, along with Eric Trump and Lara Trump and a couple of other folks that are all smiling for the picture. And in the background, you could see the coach section where Dr. Carson was for the original picture. And man, this was just one of the more glorious things ever done. So not only is the Trump family not putting Ben Carson in the middle of pictures to try to prove how woke they are, because again, that's not something that they do. Not only is he not a thing, he is in fact a world-renowned brain surgeon. 
not only was he not sitting in the back, he was sitting in first freaking class. Now, he was sitting in the back of first class, so I was kind of waiting for some of the leftists to freak out about that. But first class, nevertheless, probably wanted to be in the back so he wouldn't be bothered again. He doesn't even want to be bothered with this picture that's being taken here. He appears, again, to have his head down reading something. So, Dr. Carson, not the token black guy of the administration. He's just the guy in the administration because that's how we look at him. They, the leftists, who claim that we're the bigoted ones, they only see a person of color and they go, oh, that must be their token guy. When, in actuality, Dr. Ben Carson is not the token black guy of the administration. Again, we don't really look at people that way. He's merely just a guy in this administration and an opinion and a perspective that we value greatly because of his world-renowned intelligence that, for some reason, seems to go unnoticed by the same people who seem to think that every other person of color when they're screaming about Donald Trump is 100% correct and worthy of merit, but Dr. Ben Carson, no, no. We can't say anything positive about him. He's part of the Trump administration. Sort of counters their own levels of wokeness, doesn't it? But as is usually the case with leftists, they lack intelligence first and foremost, but then if they happen to have some of that, they lack intellectual consistency because they're entirely driven by emotions and their hatred for Donald Trump. And it's kind of nice to see that some of them have turned their ire towards Bernie Sanders. We'll see how long that lasts, if and when Bernie becomes the nominee. Sleepy, creepy, flippy, floppy, sloppy, malarkey Joe has, has got new life now, so it looks like it's a two-man race. Bloomberg's kind of fading into the background. He can't even buy votes. Bloomberg, by the way, I, I feel like I should touch on this. Him talking about, quote, buying you know, he, he said in that debate, he let it slip. It was a bit of a Freudian slip. He was talking about 21 congressional seats that he, quote, bought, I mean, got. No one seems to have any problem with that, which is really weird for, you know, the party that's always bitching about money and politics and corporations being able to make donations and super PACs and all that sort of stuff. They have no qualms with Bloomberg essentially admitting that he bought 21 congressional seats and furthermore saying that he's willing to dump pretty much a, a billion dollars into either his campaign or whatever's left over into the campaign of the nominee. Doesn't that just scream of some sort of campaign file, finance violation? If anybody else tried to donate that much money to another campaign, they'd be thrown in jail. As a matter of fact, Dinesh D'Souza donated like $5,000 to a friend of his for a low-level political, uh, you know, I don't even remember what it was. It was like mayor of a small town. The guy didn't even win, and they threw Dinesh D'Souza in jail. But Mike Bloomberg can openly talk about buying candidates, buying their seats, and for that matter, giving hundreds of millions of dollars to a Democratic nominee. And no one in the in the party of... Dark money and politics, even fucking bats and I added again. The intellectual inconsistency is simply staggering for those of us who have even a modicum of it. But alas, I don't even know that these people can spell it. And that's where they find themselves. And hopefully we find ourselves on the same path that we've been on for the last several years. And that's hashtag winning, baby. Trump said eventually we would ask him to stop winning so much because we can't take all the winning. And honestly, after November, I may very well be there. Just like, you know what, dude? You did it. Just take a nap for the next four years. And uh, virtually anything that is not done by Democrats in the next four years because he gets in there is a good thing for the country because these people are absolutely radical nutbags. They can't even come up with a, a nominee that most of them can get behind that isn't a socialist or a part-time Republican billionaire. Their best hope at this point is either sleepy, creepy, flippy, floppy, sloppy, malarkey Joe or Hillary Clinton. 
these people are fucked. Like 10 ways from Sunday. Now, again, I'm, I'm being a little overconfident as far as the Trump victory. We still need to get out there and vote. We need to ignore all the polls. We need to get friends. We need to fuck it. I mean, I don't want the competition, but if you need to do a podcast and get your message out there in order to get some people to the vote, to the polls, do it. And if it's decent enough, send it my way. Maybe I'll put you up on my stream here and we can have a little bit of a partnership. And in order to get in touch with me, as always, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, and Minds at Right Opinion Pod. Also, feel, for, feel free to just email me directly, the Right Opinion Pod at gmail.com. Same goes as always. If you're looking to add some content to your platform, whatever it may be, this is available for pretty much anybody to put out there. I put the show out there for the express purpose of getting the information out. I'm not trying to be famous, although that would be nice. I'm not trying to do, you know, make a bunch of money off of this, although, again, that would be nice. I do this for free for the love of this country, for the love of my beliefs, and for the love of each and every one of you who listen to this and like and share and subscribe and give us a fast-dial review on Apple, iTunes, and wherever else you can give reviews. That's much appreciated. Again, this is The Right Opinion right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com. And I think I gave you all the plugs. Shoutouts to HackerHameen.Podbean.com and, for that matter, RatSaladReview.com. Wherever you may be listening to this, I appreciate it. Again, like, share, subscribe, and reviews, and all that good stuff. And I think this is that point of the show where I remind you all that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.